Welcome to the Kitchen, Bathroom and Cabinet Design Podcast with your host Hendrik in association with CAD International and the Kitchen and Bathroom Designers Institute. This is the first and only design podcast on kitchen and bathroom design in Australia and we'll be working to bring you some amazing content to teach you the tips, tricks and tools of the design industry. We're going to be sitting down and hearing from industry experts who will share some really unique advice and perspectives on how to make a bigger impact with your design business and with your designs. Whether you're an interior designer, a cabinet maker, building designer, architect or student, we believe that you're really going to enjoy these episodes. So sit back, relax and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to today's first episode. This is Hendrik, your host, and for today uh, I just wanted to go through a quick overview of who I am, what this podcast is, and what I do. So I'm currently busy doing my honors in architecture at QUT, and this podcast actually came about as a result of our recent partnership with the Kitchen and Bathroom Designers Institute. So I work in business development for CAD International, who is a major reseller of Australian CAD software um, and also develops and sells some of the best CAD software here in Australia. Uh, So I'm a designer by trade and I'm really, really passionate about learning and I've always enjoyed helping others on their journey. So in essence, this podcast really came to fruition because currently the kitchen and bathroom industry, as you may or may not know, is actually booming and becoming very popular. Um, So specialists are becoming more in demand and, you know, it's something that people should be talking about more and more. You know, people are opting more for design along the lines of extensions, renovations, additions, and so on. So we're really trying to meet this demand and put out some really useful information to educate our listeners on some of the finer details of the design industry. So for today, I actually interviewed an award-winning architect, uh, Lisa Moore from And Architecture here in Brisbane. And I actually met her a few times during an exhibition at UQ, I believe it was. Um, And I've been in contact with her for a short while. So I thought, well, hell, why not interview her? She has this really incredible background, so I just decided to interview her. Um, I really enjoyed this interview, and Lisa... She had some really interesting insights um, on design, you know, on the industry and some tips and tricks for younger designers, you know, younger designers who are still starting off in the industry and some tips for already established designers. So this was my first interview so far and I really hope you guys enjoy this. Okay. Um, I'm here with Lisa Moore. Uh, she's the director of And Architecture. She has her own firm and she's the recipient of several notable awards. Her experience ranges from design and construction of houses, apartments, multi-residential uh, schools, childcare, retail cafes, art galleries, offices, 
um, in both regional and coastal locations. Uh, she's currently an active member of the AIA and holds several positions in the AIA. So that's correct? Yes. Um, and she's also worked as an educator in different positions at many different universities. Um, thank you for doing the interview, Lisa. Um, so I want to ask you a few questions. And I think the first place to start is why did you become an architect? Okay. Uh, I decided to become an architect when I was oh, about 12, I think. Um, I, I consider that I was quite lucky that it was quite clear to me what I wanted to do. Um, a lot of people have a lot of trouble and wait many years before they know. Uh, my, I lived in the country, uh, a, a large regional town, Ballarat, in Victoria. Uh, beautiful historic buildings there. So even earlier than 12, I probably became interested in historic buildings mm. and liked the romantic quality of them, I think. Um, and so, so that was a starting point. But then my parents actually bought a block of land that uh, they decided to build on and they saw a design build company for the design of that. Mm. Um, very tricky block because it was basically just one big slope uh, surrounded by native forest, um, so really beautiful spot. And so they tried to come up with some solutions and so my parents in, in of the evening would be sitting at, their, at the kitchen table drawing with rulers and that sort of thing and I decided to give it a go and um, really loved it and uh, came up with what was apparently a very good design because that's what they ended up building. Right. <laughs> so, that, so my parents built um, a 12-year-old design. <laughs> <laughs> that's insane. And um, so that was my first job. <laughs> so your first um, project was at quite a young age. Yeah, uh, and it just happened by chance and obviously I learnt quickly that it was something that I really enjoyed, thinking about how spaces could be um, and... Uh, Probably that particular design, it, the merit of it was that it had this beautiful courtyard where uh, my bedroom, because I was interested in my bedroom and where that would go, right. um, being a 12-year-old kid, my bedroom looked out onto this courtyard. But the courtyard actually sort of fixed a few other problems. So it was like a, I don't know, intervention that helped uh, everything else work yeah. uh, that, that needed to be discovered but wasn't discovered by the other people that were trying to give it a go. So yeah. so I, I felt like I enjoyed that problem-solving part of it. Right. Uh, and then I also really enjoyed seeing it get built mm. as well. So uh, the, the other um, background information from when I was a child thinking about doing architecture is that my grandparents uh, and my grandfathers, both of them, were carpenters um, oh, and okay. so they had these big sheds and would make things and, you know, I, I quite enjoyed all of that mm. as well. So you became quite involved in that as well? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So, and, and you know, to this day I quite enjoy, um, you know, those those builders that have a real talent for um their craft, mm. you know, they understand the wood and they know how it works and, and can come up with, you know, really intricate designs and um, I like working with people like that. Yeah. Um, so I don't have those skills to build in that way, but I certainly appreciate it. Mm. Mm. Um, and when you were young, like I know people have this conception of what architecture is before they actually start studying and then yeah. 
after they study and then when they actually start working. Yes. So what would you say are some of the biggest misconceptions you had when you were younger as opposed to now? Uh, I didn't, uh, when I was younger, I, I didn't go overseas. Uh, I didn't know um, what, you know, particular international architects were or anything like that. So I think that anybody who wants to study architecture uh, I think it would be a good idea to do that because yeah. that was something that was new to me. And when I uh, turned up at architecture school, there's there's um, some students might have parents that are architects, so they have a good understanding of what uh, the the career is. Yeah. Uh, and some and some other students might have you know travelled or, or were aware of you know I don't know uh, different architects. So. Uh, Miss Van der Rohe, for instance, I mm. wouldn't have known who that was when I was when I first turned up at university, right. um, and I think that that would Which be. I didn't handy. either. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you learn these things, but uh, yeah, that probably that would be the one thing that I would have liked to have started learning earlier. Mm. I've always taken an interest in art, um, like fine art, and as a student uh, at high school, I did fine art among other subjects, uh, and. I knew a lot of artists, but yeah. there wasn't really we weren't really taught about architecture and such. So we weren't really taught about architects. Mm. Um, we did a graphic we did graphic design, but that sort of seemed to be an amalgamation of many different things. Yeah, uh, more digital sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, uh, and all of that's really good. Uh, but yeah, I think that it would be useful for a lot of students at high school to maybe be introduced to a couple of our, even Australian mm. architects. Because um, there's some sort of link between architecture and art. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you could do it as easily. Yeah, like you could choose something like Parliament House, for mm. instance, that uh, a lot of the aspects of that have, um, you know, stories to tell about Australian culture, for instance, right. um, or other buildings like that that actually make you realise that architecture can actually tell a story. Mm. And, and be relevant and significant and memorable in many different ways. Right. Um, and so when you when you decided to start your business um, and architecture, was there like a process before that where you worked for some people and then decided, well, that wasn't really for you and like I want to do it my own way or how did that kind of come about? Uh, I always imagined I would run my own practice not, not so much that I didn't enjoy working for other practices because mm. I had really fantastic experience with the, the two main practices that I worked with and they they remain very supportive of me now. Yeah. Um, so I was mentored well, uh, luckily. Uh, but I've always had a bit of a creative streak that is, I don't know, like an individual flair in my design perhaps that, yeah. that I, I guess I want to see that to its best right. fruition. So you're kind of like a trailblazer. Uh, no, <laughs> uh, I don't know that I would say that. But no, no, just I, I just um, have an individual style uh, sort of that, that I like to pursue and I do think that perhaps I have leadership skills as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I, would, I, I wouldn't rule out working for a company again at all, uh, but I would need to feel that I had autonomy within that 
yeah. so that I was able to make decisions. I think I work best when I am when I'm a, when I have a lot of responsibility. Um, so yeah. Mm. So would you say there are any certain types of skills that that you can only learn when you actually start working, as opposed to like what they teach you at university? Uh, or anything that kind yeah, of stands out I, I to think you? so. Um, uh, the on-site experience you, the, at university, you, you might get a bit of a taste of it, but I think it's not until you're really on-site, you know, having a discussion with a builder about what the price of something is and mm. how how um, or how some a problem needs to be fixed. Uh, I think that that is probably something that's difficult to learn at university. Uh, the feeling you get when you are having to be entirely responsible for a situation that's maybe not going well yeah. uh, is a bit difficult to sort of, you know, create in a university setting, I guess. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, you can't so, exactly so, mimic that feeling. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I guess with anything, you know, like if you're if you're a pilot um, flying a plane, you might do a whole lot of simulation sort of things of an accident happening. Mm. And I, I guess if you practice that enough, maybe when the real accident happens, it doesn't feel any different. But I'm sure there must be some yeah. difference. <laughs> so it's a bit. I mean, that's a that's a drastic example, but uh, I guess that's what I mean. You don't really know how you're going to manage a situation because every situation is different as well. Mm. Uh, when when you have conflict. Mm. Um, so what would you say are like? the main complications that arise out of a project and how do you normally overcome that? Uh, the main complications, in my experience, are when uh, when there needs to... If I need to be a mediator in a situation, for instance, a neighbour mm-hmm. doesn't like the design or that sort of thing yep. can happen. Uh, so an example, uh, a problem that we had on one job is that uh, there was a dispute about where the actual boundary was between the neighbour's side and the side of my client and there was a brick wall that was needing to be demolished because it was dangerous mm-hmm. and there became a problem about that brick wall yep. and so it needed to be propped up by engineers and the engineers were involved, the building spares were involved, clients had lawyers, lawyers like you <laughs> Uh, and it, my my job was for the rest of the building to continue on to make sure that every that the situation was safe um, and and um, reassure everybody that we would come to a solution mm. where everybody was happy, uh, which in the end we did. Uh, but that uh, those sort of situations can be difficult when. You have you have a issue where two people want something different, right? Yeah, yeah, and and it's happened a few times um, with neighbours in particular. Uh, yeah, so so that would be an issue. Uh, the other issue is at the start of a job, uh, in order to win a job, uh, trying to convince a client that. Um, 
but trying to discuss with the client what is a realistic budget mm. when they would like it to be, uh, you know, economical, uh, but what they're suggesting actually won't be enough. Yeah. Uh, so that is that is always a problem, um, and yeah, uh, you can't come up with a fabulous design without it being not top dollar, but without without them perhaps needing to stretch the budget a little bit more. Right. Um, so, so you can't have everything, you can't have small budget and, you know, every beautiful finish that they yeah. like. <laughs> Top grade finishes. Yeah, and, and also there the, the can be a problem with uh, a client before the job has even started wanting to know exactly how much it will cost mm. uh, and that actually it's like the chicken or the egg sort of situation. I mean, you know, how do you, how do you actually... Um, tell a person exactly what something's going to cost if right. it's not a, you haven't actually done the job. You don't actually know what's going to, to be produced. Take into consideration all the finishes, like all the fixtures, mm. the construction costs, yeah. materials, all those sorts of things. Yeah, and, and the cost actually is in, in many ways is in control. The, the client is in control of the cost. Mm. Uh, for instance, they will have the option of choosing the $10 a square metre tile or the $500 a square metre tile. Right. Uh, so, so, uh, and it's my job to, to, to assist, you know, help with that and provide mm. the options and make it clear cost, but also, you know, other options and, and also to give them an in-between option as well. Uh, so for instance, um, a job that I did recently, uh, is, uh, uh included an ensuite. They really liked these beautiful tiles that um, had an etched uh, design in it. Mm-hmm. Really nice tiles, really expensive tiles. So we just had them on one feature wall, and then all the other tiles were quite inexpensive. Okay. And, the, and the bathroom looks fabulous. Mm. Um, and in many ways, if that expensive tile had gone on all the walls, in, it might even have reduced the impact of it. Right. So, so those sort of solutions mm. are important, but I don't know that that's going to be a solution when a person first comes to talk to me about a possibility of a job. That sort of happens over, it evolves. So, yeah, it's important. It's difficult sometimes to, if a client doesn't understand that there is this process of a design evolving, mm-hmm. then perhaps they're not the right client for me. Right. Mm. So when it comes to your clients, um, is there a moment when you decide not to work with a client or do you choose your clients or do they choose you? Uh, both. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, it's just that you do have a fairly close relationship with them and it can it's quite a long relationship if it's a large project Mm. it can actually be you know can be involved with them for a few years and they might be return clients and so the relationship I've got clients that I've worked with for you know over 15 years on and off um, on various jobs that they keep coming back to me for so um, usually my clients come through some sort of recommendation so uh, a friend or family member that they know knows me or has mm. worked with me before. So that has been a lot of the work that I've got in the past, which okay. is good because you kind of, I mean, as, as much as I am wanting 
as much as they're wanting to know that I'm recommended, I'm wanting to know that they're recommended yeah. as well. Um, so there's like a special process that your clients kind of go through to get to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so when you start on a new project with a client, um, what's some of the most important things you typically consider before getting started on a new project? Uh, I will meet with them, okay. usually at the site. Uh, and so just prior to that, I'll probably have looked up where it is and a few things about it. I might have looked up like the some um, title history or that sort of thing as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I might have even called council to find out if there's any particular restrictions I should know about, whether they'll need a development application, for instance, that sort of thing, so that I can talk about that in reference to their job. Uh, I, I usually will have talked to them on the phone for a while about their job. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, when I turn up, generally I will get them to give me, if it's a house and it's needing renovating or something, we'll mm-hmm. have a tour of the house. And I like them to point out to me the things that are working and things that aren't working for right. them. And I'll also be looking at the um, condition of the house mm-hmm. uh, and... Generally, in that meeting, I'll come up with some solutions as to what they might do, uh, just as a sort of starting point. Uh, quite often, in my mind, I will have some ideas of what the finished design will be, uh, but there's a lot of work that it takes in order to get mm. to that end result. But quite often what it, the end result is something that was floating around in my head, possibly even in that first meeting. Right. Uh, so the the actual fruition of design happens very it, immediately almost Okay. at times. And then you have to work out how to make that happen. Like mm. what are the restrictions? What, what will the materials be? Where, is this what the client wants? And all these different things that, that come into it. Right. Um, so... Is that typically before or after you've consulted with a client? When I am. Okay. Yeah. So you can pretty quickly get an idea when your clients are trying to explain to you what they want. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, I mean, other than cost, are there any other typical misconceptions that your clients have that you need to resolve? Um. Or maybe something about what you do. In the process of things. Maybe the amount of time that it takes. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's, there's it, yeah, it, it, it's not like they'll get a drawing next week and it'll all be done. Mm. Uh, so a fair bit of time goes into it. So that can be a misconception. But, you know, like a lot of my clients turn up and they've used architects before and they know the process and they see the value in that. And so... Uh, there isn't that non-expected aspect. Mm. Hmm. But I guess it's that whole thing of like um, uh, uh, cost, quality and time. You know, those three things are constantly being juggled and uh, I I guess none of those things can sort of get too far ahead of the others. Um, Otherwise, uh, the the job sort of doesn't work out. Hmm. So it's a matter of balancing. 
So yeah. how do you typically balance those three things? So that's timelines, the budget, and what the client wants. Uh, try and think of clever solutions. Yeah. Uh, so, for instance, if we go back to the job that I was talking about earlier with the tiles, uh, I mean, it's a simple solution to just do one wall that's expensive, mm. but, it's, but it's a clever solution. And uh, so, you know, at any job, every single thing that you choose hopefully is also a clever decision. Right. So, uh, and based on, you know, quality and, and time and all that sort of thing. So, uh, choosing the right builder and that kind of that, I mean, that's sort of in the quality section. Yeah. So that's something you have um, to be very selective about. Yeah. Uh, so you don't necessarily want to go for the cheapest builder. It mm-hmm. might be that the cheapest is also, you know, the highest quality, but. They might um, overlook certain things. Mm, and also, you know, there can be, uh, extra costs that come in. So I tend to like working with builders that I've worked with before because you sort of know how they operate, I guess. Right. Uh, so that's good and it's good for the client to get that recommendation and know that, you know, the communication between myself and that builder mm-hmm. is is good and professional. So that's important. Um, uh, the other thing is with every choice, there needs to be... I mean, there's there's a hundred reasons why you would choose different things. Uh, so, a tile, it, the color of it, the the um, cost of it, um, the size, or you know where the mortar wipe might go, the color of the mortar, whether it needs to be non-slip, or all those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, every single item is thought about in a multitude of ways, yeah. and how it fits with the other materials around it, and what happens when the tiles end and I don't know, it meets carpet, for instance, or mm-hmm. something else where that the you know, at the door threshold. So these sort of things all need to be considered. Uh, and that's what makes a good job when all of those finer details are addressed from the outset and you don't have a builder going on site saying, Well, what did you think might happen here? And you know yeah. uh and it, it, decisions could be made that isn't as high quality as another decision. Mm. So your client would see a tile and you would see budget, cost, timeline, planning. Mm. <laughs> that's interesting. Actually, that's something that we didn't talk about, That what you've just mentioned then, the um, the, the planning and the timing. Mm. Um, uh, planning of time is also important. So, you know, there'll be lead times on particular tiles. So you can order your beautiful tile and um, the builder... Uh, start the job and at the point at which you would usually order the tiles calls up and says oh no those tiles you know we, we need to ship them in they're going to be six months away mm. or we don't make those tiles or anymore or or like another problem might be oh we need more tiles mm. um, so um, it, you, you get the new batch and it's, it's a slightly different colour for instance yeah. that can happen I've, I've always, a couple of times I've been caught out and I've, no, once I've been caught out and I've never had it happen again actually. Um, <laughs> uh, the, the builder's price was reasonably cheap. Um, and I realized that he'd only actually priced for the tiles up to the joinery, which is quite a common thing that happens and yeah. probably in most apartments and things like that. It's a very, I mean, obviously the job gets done quicker. Mm-hmm. Nobody's ever going to look under the joinery. The joinery is fixed, like built in. 
Um, but in my jobs, I would like to think that the tiles, you know, fit the room and then the joinery comes in as opposed to um, leaving those gaps. Yeah. Um, so that, uh, and it's also, those sort of things are important for longevity as well because in the future, the, the um, cabinetry, uh, that, that uh, wears down fairly quickly. A kitchen, you know, doesn't last that long. Yeah. Um, might be replaced. And so they go and replace it and the, they're sort of stuck with the shape of what they had before. Mm. Um, so that versatility is nice to maintain. So, yeah, I like to have tiles going from wall to wall. Right. <laughs> on the floor. <laughs> okay. Um, and so with your project planning, um, do you have any specific process that helps you achieve it better or make it faster or at least have some priorities? Uh, I have a clear vision of, of the design okay. uh, in my head. Uh, and keep good records of, I don't know, if the client says, oh, I saw this tile on the weekend, this is what it's called, and that might be in the first meeting you have. Mm. And then, you know, three months later when when you're making the decision about the tile, it's like, oh, what was the name of that one? You know, like right. it's, sort of, it's good to sort of... And you forgot because the guy yeah, just told you about it. Yeah, it yeah. So it's so good notes about um, products and materials that are going to be used. Uh, and um, good good notes from client meetings is good as well. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so I have some non-sequiturs as well, mm-hmm. um, some really interesting non-sequiturs, because uh, as you know, we actually ran a survey on, mm. on interior designers, um, and we asked them things about their greatest fears, their greatest desires, and their greatest hopes. So now I'm thinking you might be able to address some of those, like how you would normally overcome it. Okay. Um, so as an architect, what do you fear the most or what's the scariest thing that could happen? <laughs> uh, clients stop coming, I guess, or, yeah. you know, there's no work. <laughs> right. Yeah, a downturn. Mm. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um what wakes you up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat of panic? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, what do you desire the most in your professional life? Um, uh, personal creative satisfaction mm-hmm. and um, uh, pleased clients. Yeah. Satisfied clients, I'll say, right. rather than please. Satisfied clients. Because your clients might not always know exactly what they need to do for their design that's actually going to help them. Yeah. Um, and what would you say is the architect's number one enemy? Uh, mm. <laughs> We can skip it. Yeah, I'll skip that one. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Sorry. Um, So what are the skills you still want to work on or improve? Uh, Something you don't feel like it's quite up to par? Well, I guess it, I mean, I'm I'm always learning. 
uh, I like to practice drawing skills mm-hmm. uh, and I, I, I like learning from others I guess so yeah. I, I like I'd like to um, have the opportunity to see some of the world's um, well-known architecture buildings for mm. instance I've managed to see a, a fair few uh, but that that would be pretty nice. So do you travel quite a lot to see different uh, buildings and different architectural masterpieces? Uh, yeah. Uh, recently I went. Uh, I was in America and I went to the Salk Institute oh, wow. by Louis Kahn. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I don't tend to – I haven't for a while anyway actually specifically gone overseas to see a particular, mm. um, uh, you know, monument. Uh but I tend to, wherever I happen to be going, I will find out what else is in that area. Uh, yeah. I also like, you know, the, the art galleries and museums and all of that as, as well. So mm. so I like to yeah, continue to be inspired by those things. I like to, uh, in, in order to, um, to answer your question mm. further, I like to have a good understanding about uh, history and culture uh, yeah. and in here in Australia, uh, as well as overseas. Yeah. So that's an ongoing learning. Mm. Mm. So so you'd say, like, your design is informed by arts and culture and history and all those sorts of things? Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Um, <laughs> so let me just see if I've missed anything. Um, yeah, so actually I want to talk a bit about networking and the sorts of more businessy side of things. Okay. Um, what would you say is, you know, the most important thing about networking? Because people typically say it's not about what you do, it's about who you know. Well, uh, I think that architects often are very good at networking amongst themselves and I'm mm. certainly guilty of that. Uh, I probably should do more networking in circles where I might win clients. Yeah. Um, but architects like to, I don't know, to connect with other architects. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm quite good at networking with other architects and uh, certainly my work at the Institute of Architects has been hugely beneficial as far as networking. Mm. Uh, I'm originally from Melbourne, so oh, okay. uh, the the Institute has been uh, a very good way to meet many others mm. in a similar line of business to me. Uh, so and I think that you can get a lot of benefit from um, collaborating and uh, talking about, you know, somebody that does the same work as you, uh, talking about issues you might, might both be having or, mm. uh, you know, run through a design I might be doing and get an opinion and that sort of thing, especially because I do often work on my own. Um, that That's quite good. Yeah. Uh, so, so, yeah. Um, I uh, I think that it's really important also for architects to be connecting with builders and other people in the industry, engineers. Mm. Um, Not just yeah. architects. Yeah, yeah. So that that's all really important. And yeah, I, 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 different ways of finding clients mm. is obviously something that's a high priority. Yeah. Um, so with winning 
clients. Um, is that mainly so mainly your way is just through references or is there it other has ways? been um, okay. but uh, I guess it's good to have uh, an impressive website mm-hmm. um, documenting work professionally is important so getting always having a good photographer yeah. uh, that comes in at the end of the job uh, that's actually can be quite tricky because uh, you know as soon as the build is out, the clients move in and all of a sudden... You don't get a yeah, chance. Yeah, there's ne- never a moment where it's perfect. It, yeah. that, that sort of doesn't exist in a way. Uh, so um, it, it, you really got a picky moment with that. And mm-hmm. also you, you don't want to be in the road of the client as they're you know, moving in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so that is important. Um, I've forgotten the question now. What was the question? <laughs> Uh, I forgot as well. <laughs> um, yeah, so... What? I'm just trying to remember the question that I asked. <laughs> it was about networking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, about networking. So, what would you say... Would you say networking is a part of your self-marketing in a way? Or is it, uh, yes. has it helped you win more clients to uh, be more involved in the AIA? And I think so. Uh, in some ways, networking m- makes you realise that people aren't that different from you. You know, like you can walk into a room um, at a conference or something like yeah. that and you can walk into a room and sort of stay on the sideline because you feel like you don't know anyone in the room and... Or you can actually just go up and start talking to somebody. Um, and I find that, you know, lots of people in the room might feel a little bit uncomfortable as well, mm. whereas it can be easy uh, for a person to to think they're the only one that, that feels like they're not part of the room or something right. like that. So, so I guess it's a positive to overcome those sort of things um, and... Networking certainly allows that, like, so you sort of get a bit of a hang of it, I guess. Yeah. Um, and I think that that confidence uh, maybe has a twofold effect in that when you do meet somebody that's a potential client, you, you sort of are able to talk to them comfortably mm-hmm. and with authority. And um, yeah, yeah. I, I also think that networking, I, I think, works well when you're quite sincere and I mm-hmm. tend to approach my work and meeting with clients and, and um, meeting with anybody, I guess, you know, with, with a certain sincerity. Like I'm not trying to – I don't sort of put on a particular voice and yeah. just try and win the job and right. – do you know what I mean? Like, a, yeah, yeah that's not my like style. <laughs> so so I, I feel that – and I found that with networking as yeah. well, that, that I do better – at getting to know somebody yeah. or, or being welcomed by somebody when I am just myself and, and my professional self, yeah. but I'm not putting on an act. Yeah, I think most people really know when someone's putting on an act. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if they're being super nice for some reason, and yeah. they're like, why is this person being overly nice? Yeah. Some crazy stuff like that. Um. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, so I want to talk more about 
like, you know, starting your own business and the process of that and like overcoming fears and worries and doubts and those sorts yes. of things. Because um, I know at university... Can you just hold for a sec? Yeah, sure. I didn't hear my phone call before. <laughs> I just want to make sure it's not anything urgent. I don't think it is. No, it's okay. Okay, can continue. Yeah. Um, yeah, so a lot of students at uni, like they have this dream of starting their own practice. Um, so I'm wondering what sort of advice would you give them in starting their own practice? Mm-hmm. Is it worth it? to start your own practice and um, what would you recommend? Uh, I do think running your own practice is only for certain people. Yeah. Uh, there's, something, there's something quite good about being in a paid job where you go home at the end of the day and you don't have to worry about it. Uh, and uh, I mean, I know you, you might be worried in your work regardless, but, but I mean about, um, you know, is your insurance policy in place or is the building that's, you know, got the issue with a builder and a client mm. that aren't getting along, is that going to, you know, has that going to impact you in various ways? Um, so so those sort of things that, that's, you know, that, that you don't necessarily have to worry about if you are um, an employee. Also, it, uh, at different times, I've employed people, yeah. and that can be quite stressful because you've got to keep them work coming in in order to keep them employed. Right. <laughs> uh, and I know that a lot of architects, you know, that the management of that is actually quite stressful. Uh, uh, you know, is is a skill in itself as yeah. well. So, yeah, because um, you might need a whole lot of people working on a large job, but then when that job ends, there might not be another one. That mm. size coming through, or whatever might happen, you can have. I have luckily I haven't had this happen very often, but you can uh, have quite a large job and the client pulls the pin on it at yeah. any point in time. So that yeah, sounds, that sounds <laughs> something that would keep me awake. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. So um, well, I mean, you, you just you. I guess you don't worry about that until it happens, but yeah. you also need contingency things in place in case it happens mm. as well. Yeah. So it's sort of like planning for all the outcomes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, if somebody wanted to start their own practice straight out of university, I would suggest that they uh, would... De- I really recommend being mentored by mm. somebody... That, you know, that's older than them in the, in the profession, and starting to get some experience yeah. first. I, my, I was lucky in that I worked for at, um, some a really good, uh, small, uh, mm. very creative uh, team, husband and wife team, and kind of got the experience of all aspects of architecture. So I was on site, and I was, you know, at client meetings, and I was right. given responsibility, uh, and that was really very valuable. Yeah. So that sounds a lot better than like dragging toilets around. Yeah, <laughs> I, I have <laughs> heard. Yeah, I've, I've heard that. I think my experience, unfortunately, mm. is actually fairly rare. Uh, it, there's, uh, it's actually an in, it, interest of mine that mm. the idea of um, employment straight out of university. Uh, and that I, I think it's really important that mm. employers take on the responsibility of actually providing the right skills for yeah. a, a graduate to become um, proficient and to have, you know, 
the confidence um, and also to become registered because mm. there's requirements of certain, you know, um, experiences that they're meant to have and skills they're meant to have. Um, yeah, I think all that is really important. And actually recently I was talking to some architects that are in regional areas. Okay. And they were saying, oh, you know, like I, we, we know that the, the students are finding it hard to find the work in the city, but mm. we're always here. <laughs> right. So I would actually recommend to a um, graduate to consider maybe going and trying a, a regional, regional location even just for six months or a year because mm. that is a win-win situation where you've got uh, a, a um, employee, uh, sorry, an employer that's actually really keen to have you mm. and actually isn't getting enough um, graduates uh, coming up and, and wanting yeah. the experience. So, yeah, that would be my recommendation. Yeah, that's interesting because I've noticed um, I've done some research before on different regional centres like Newcastle and a bunch of other ones. And it's quite interesting that those in the property market, those are actually kind of booming. Mm. So I can kind of see that the architecture firms there would want more people. Yeah. And everyone's flocking to the cities, whereas yep. they should actually be checking out the more regional centers. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, so... Yeah, so that's that's some really interesting advice for someone who wants to start their own practice. You know, it comes with a lot of responsibility, like mm-hmm. you said. Um, now, I want to move on to some of the projects you've worked on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to know what's your favorite project that you've worked on so far. Okay. Uh... I have some of your projects here if you... Oh, yeah. Maybe forgot. Well, actually, I, just before I met with you, I went through my photos thinking, yeah. well, what, what would be the right ones mm. to pass on? And there's actually two jobs that I came across. Yeah. Um, one, uh, the, the, it's interesting because it's bathrooms and kitchens. So the mm. one is the bathroom and the, the kitchen are both use similar materials, actually as um, like recycled timber. Oh, okay. Uh, so it sort of has a... A sort of very warm, rustic sort of feel mm. to it, uh, but also contemporary. Uh, so I thought maybe that one, because it's interesting the way that like there's recycled materials um, and, uh, and and how that can be used, and also that it's the same in both rooms. So mm. it's like a continuous a continuous sort of design theme throughout the house. Uh, but then there's, there's an, uh, another one which is actually quite different. So I very much enjoyed working on that job. Yeah. Uh, and um, it's a, a quite a large house extension. Uh, I really enjoyed working with the timber and the um, uh, there's the sort of like feature posts and beams and the way that they were connected and the bolts that were used and, mm. and all of that was really well thought about. And the builder is a builder I've worked with many times before okay. and he's also interested. This building had sort of sustainable qualities as well mm. as the recycled timber. There were other things and um, and that builder quite likes the idea of sustainable design so mm. that was nice that he's not just there earning his dollar, he's actually... He actually enjoys the process. Yeah, and we worked very well together as well. So And the clients were delightful uh, and um, had uh, yeah, a family 
that were really lovely. So that was a great job. Uh, and then the other job that I thought about the photos for, which probably is the better one because the, the clients, uh, different from the first clients I just told you about were interested in more, uh, much more contemporary, mm. um, uh, finishes and, and. So that's uh, yeah. like a much more modernized style. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like minimalism or? Uh, I wouldn't say that. It, it's it's uh, so basically the the kitchen and the bathrooms are contemporary and um, uh, sort of quite sophisticated. Okay. I would describe it as yeah. so sophisticated, whereas the other was sort of a more homely aspect mm. to it, I guess. Um, so so this sophisticated one, uh, the the client was quite involved uh, in the selection, like had a good eye for. What what they wanted, yeah. Um, and but the difference with this this one was that the the, the kitchen and the ensuite were a little bit similar in this um, uh, quite stylish way. Uh, but the bathroom was the kids' bathroom, and that had more of a lively kind of feel to it. Mm-hmm. So it was quite different. And that that bathroom was actually in the um, original house and then the extension had the new kitchen and the new ensuite. I was very pleased with the ensuite because it was uh, one of those ones where the, in the room there's a beautiful bedroom and then there's one of those walk around, um, so there's like, a, there's like a big panel where the, the bed went um, that has this really beautiful um, wallpaper and then behind it is the cupboards. Yeah. So, and then behind that was the ensuite. So it was quite well that worked well the design mm. and the roof the ceiling is quite prominent in that it's quite it's significantly sloped and has a few different sloping directions and so the slope of the roof goes down uh, so that the, the bedroom has the higher roof and then the ensuite has a lower roof but that's sort of a feature of the room mm. as well and it's that ensuite that has the wall that I mentioned earlier with the tiles with the etching in it oh right um so that worked really well. Uh, and then the kids' bathroom has bright red tiles uh, and it is the original bathroom of a California bungalow house, completely redone. Mm. Uh, so there's no trace internally of that. Um, and we actually extended uh, a tiny little extension um, that is as big as a bath and that was so that the bath could fit in oh, right. as well. <laughs> And that tiny little extension is actually similar in style to the larger extension that happens at the okay. back of the house. So, so that worked out really well, actually. Mm. Yeah. Well, that sounds interesting. I would yeah. love if you could send me some photos through of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that will be the right one because, mm. um, yeah. The, the, but, but I guess both of those jobs I quite enjoyed, and both of them were for families. Uh, and so I really like you know, to try and sort of design what suits a particular individual family. Mm. So they had, um, you know, two different families and they needed two different, completely different situations. Right. And, and in both of those places as well, the um, historic aspect of the original house uh, was maintained and and the extension is uh, sort of um, complementary. Mm. Different but complementary. Right. Mm. So what would you say are some of the 
really important considerations for kitchen and bathroom design because um, this is for kitchen and bathroom designers as yeah. well. Yeah, uh, lots of natural light, mm. particularly with a kitchen. Uh, kitchens are really important. Uh, I would say kitchens are more important than bathrooms uh, yeah. for a couple of reasons. One is that kitchens you actually live in, mm. uh, so that, and you're in it with, you know, uh, the whole family yeah. or, or guests and visitors. So it's sort and, of and like a gathering area. For yeah, like a and, it, and it has yes, and it has, and also they are um, infinitely more expensive. Mm. <laughs> so there's they more. Can be. Yeah, so um, generally a starting point for a bathroom is going to be well below a starting point for a kitchen. You know, right. like d- double. Mm. So so generally a kitchen will be double the cost of the the bathroom. Um, I think that. Cooking and all of that is, you know, it's, it's, can be a really enjoyable mm. aspect of life and of family life and, you know, all of that as well. Um, from the kitchen, generally you, uh, have some sort of connection to a living space, an outdoor space, perhaps. Uh, so you've got so, to try to make those flow together. Yeah. So in, I, I think that it's important to have natural ventilation, mm-hmm. important to have connection uh, to other aspects of the house, yep. important to um, uh, have natural light as well. And then, um, you know, like practical and sensible design as in, you know, lots of cupboard space. All right. Walk-in pantries are always excellent if they can be managed and positioned in a way that's very easy to get to. Mm. Um, and lots of bench space. Right. Uh, so, so those things are very important. Good lighting as well, like as, as, aside from the natural lighting, uh, good task lighting. And, um, yeah, I guess, you know, colours and all of that come about uh, or whatever, you know, perhaps the, the client has some influence with that, uh, perhaps the designer comes up with that, perhaps it's, you know, um, it's something that fits in with the rest of the house. Mm. Uh, so so that's sort of like uh, the, the next step after, after, the, after it's been planned, I guess. Uh, I mean, I'll always have in my mind what it might look like visually, colour-wise and yeah. you know, material selection-wise and all that sort of thing. Um, but I will con- concentrate, first of all, on the layout. Um, yeah. Mm. So those things. And then with the bathroom, obviously the similar things are important. Uh, you can certainly, yeah, I mean, ideally you have natural light, but you also need to think about privacy. Right. Uh, so, uh, you might, uh, I mean, I designed a, um, a beautiful shower that had a window in the shower that looked out onto a private courtyard. Wow. <laughs> and that was just beautiful. Uh, it actually was a door, so you could actually open that door and be in the shower with the door open. Wow, that's uh, It was actually my own bathroom. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I was cool. quite aware that, and, and also next to that was a beautiful bath that yeah. also had a big window, a huge window that was right where the bath is, so you also looked out into this courtyard. Um, and... Yeah, so so it was decided that privacy uh, was not an issue there mm. because it was a courtyard. There was a big fence between that and the neighbour's house. Certainly the neighbour could climb up on a ladder or something like yeah. that, but um, 
how likely is that going to yeah, happen? It's very so, 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 yeah. So, where you can, it's nice to be able to have a view out. Mm. Uh, I'm designing a bathroom at the moment where the client particularly wants a window uh, as he looks out. Uh, this is a house in Lawn down the Great Ocean yeah. Road in Victoria. He so wants that, to be able to look out. He yeah. actually, he's building a new house. He's actually a builder as well, so he will build it. He had an old, he, the house he lives in now, he built, and the bathroom, the, the new house is going to look nothing like it, but he really likes the fact that this particular bath in his bathroom has the window. So that yeah, is going to be repeated. Like a <laughs> sense of luxury to have like a really yeah. great view. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it, you know, like that's also, the bath is really beautifully tiled mm. in. And he has candles on the sides, and you know, so so yeah. uh, it's actually quite. It's, it's, that's a really important aspect to him. So you know, quite often people want everything different from their old place, except one or two things that actually they really do like a lot. Yeah, and there's a really nice view out that window too. So we will do that in a new way in the new house, um, and uh, and that also so that will have a view. Uh, and also, uh, he's not worried about privacy. <laughs> um, maybe the neighbours will be. I think we're not going to get away with that. So what we're planning to do is have it, have the window facing onto a balcony that he, that, that will have a screen. Mm. Uh, and so he might on his balcony have some plants and that sort of thing. So, um, and also he likes louvers. So it'll be a large open window with louvers down each side. Okay. So he has the option of the ventilation. Yeah. But with a bathroom, you don't actually need light or ventilation to pass regulation. Okay. Um, but if you don't have ventilation, like if you don't have a window op- openable, yeah, you have to have a fence. And, and also, you know, you get mould and all that sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah. So you need a really good fan. But that's all you need right. uh, in order to regulation. So you can have a bathroom in the middle of your house if you wanted to, mm. but you wouldn't want to. Uh, another thing with bathrooms is uh, a lot of people, at, like in these Queenslanders, uh, really like the idea of having the timber floor in the bathrooms, you mm. know, like a big clawfoot bar, timber floor. doesn't meet regulation. You have to have a waterproof floor right. so you can't have timber. So, so those sort of things can restrict what you might want. Yeah. And they might say, oh, but we've seen it before in our friend's house or whatever. But either they didn't get, they didn't do it by regulation or it was done so long ago that it was before that regulation was in place. Mm. So, do you need to get a phone call? Um, You're welcome to. No, I'll just quickly, I think it's on Facebook Messenger. I'll just delete that. So I don't have to hear it all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think in a bathroom, if you can do it, a bath is an excellent option. Mm. Resale value, a bath is an excellent option. A, a large bathroom, a generous size bathroom is an excellent option. Yeah. So uh, uh, bath over shower or which one I, uh, has look, the most value? A bath over a shower, I would avoid doing. Mm. Uh, for a start, it's a bit dangerous, uh, but obviously for practical reasons, and especially if it's for a family, uh, y- 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 I mean, a house with a family, you need a bath, yeah. uh, ideally. Uh, and, I mean, my son, what he hates showers, he's <laughs> a small boy, and, yeah, it's, it's sort of, yeah, you need a bath. Mm. Uh, if you have a baby, you know, you need to... Yeah, you can't uh, put yeah. them in the shower. <laughs> yeah. Well, you can, but yeah, you, you can't, yeah, you, the, the option is, it, it, it is important yeah. if you can do that. So, uh, 
Yeah, I, I guess everyone likes a nice, generous-sized shower. Mm. Uh, and, of course, you know, you get those doors that slide and everything, avoid them because they break and whatever. So right. if you can do it, a um, walk-in shower is The lovely. best option to go for. Yeah. So the more um, simple it is, like... And then you get the seamless glass yeah. and you can see right through the room and there's more light in the room and less spots for, um, you know, uh, mould, that sort of thing. Mm. So whenever, wherever there's joins or bits and pieces, that's sort of what fails in bathrooms. So, um, so yeah, larger tiles, less, less, um, mortar. Right. So mm. the more complicated you try to go, like, the more kind of difficult it makes the design. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, sort of, but then it's actually more, it, it's a harder job to do things seamlessly. Mm. <laughs> so, so more thought needs to go into making things have, you know, less joins or whatever yeah. it might be. Yeah. Mm. Very interesting. I think our, our readers and listeners are going to like that. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing is uh, in a bathroom, uh, so in a, in a kitchen, it's a living space, yeah. so you need a height clearance of 2.4 or more. Okay. Whereas in a um, in a bathroom, you can have it at 2.1, but I wouldn't recommend that because right. it's not very pleasant. Uh, but in in tight spaces it can be mm. useful uh, so yeah so it, it seems like you can actually come up with a really great design for a bathroom on a much lower cost yes. than for the kitchen yeah um, and for the kitchen what would you say is kind of like the minimum amounts to have a really decent kitchen cost yeah huh. like without going overboard something that's not necessary I think you need about at uh, forty thousand, yeah, to have a decent kitchen. kitchen, yeah, and you can get it can go up from there or down from there. Mm. Um, and how do you typically price all the stuff that goes into the kitchen? Is that just like an Excel spreadsheet that you? Uh, well, I usually tender it to builders, so okay. it'll be the builder that does all that. Um, but the other thing is there will be schedules of materials. So, for instance, I might use a um, company that supplies sanitary items like mm-hmm. bathroom uh, fixtures uh, or, or kitchen fixtures or stoves or those sort of things and I'll actually have their price like we, we might go there myself and the clients or I might give them some options and we look online mm. um, I'll give some recommendations they might do their own research uh, and through that we have a list of all the taps and a list of you know the stove they want and the list of the bath they want and all the rest of it and it's important for instance, with the bath um, and other things, but like let's say the bath, you know, there's many varying sized baths, um, yeah. so it's important to know how it, that the room's going to fit the bath uh, mm. and and all of that as well. You know, like a toilet, uh, some toilets are 600 from the wall to the front edge, uh, whereas some are longer than that, some are shorter, so that's important too so that the right clearance is there. Um the bars, it's always nice to have those freestanding bars, uh, but they do take up more room because they need more room around it. Right. Uh, so, yeah, so that's sort of something that mm, you wouldn't necessarily think, uh, yeah, um, but, yeah, that is the case. So mm. those things are important. Right, that's really cool. It's really interesting. Mm. Um, the height of the yeah. shower, 
rose, for instance, you know, mm-hmm. like where that is and some clients might be really tall and so it might be that there's a standard height but in this job we might want the builder to know that we want it 10 centimetres right. higher than that. Obviously. So there's a lot of design consideration that actually goes into it. Yeah. Specialised on which sort of client you're dealing with. Yeah. Um, and then one last question because I know we're kind of running short for time. I think yeah. we've been going for one hour. Okay. Um, so the last question I'll ask is what is next for you? Uh, what is something really cool you want to accomplish? Okay. Uh, well, I've only been in Queensland for a few years mm-hmm. uh, now, and so I, I still have a work down in Melbourne uh, in my business, uh, but I really want to um, forge more of a name for myself here. Mm. Thank you for having, uh, for having me here. Pleasure. Um, thanks for the interview. Thank you. Thanks.